Hey, Blake from Launch Notes here. Thanks so much for checking out the Launch Notes podcast. This episode features a recording of our weekly live show, Office Hours Live. We do these most Fridays. If you want to check them out live, go ahead and subscribe to the Launch Notes YouTube channel. And if you have suggestions or questions you want to see covered in a future episode, join our free Slack community, Launch Awesome, and say hi to us in there. We've got almost a thousand people from the top product teams in tech sharing the ways they're building their products and their careers. Check out Launch Awesome. You can find a link in the show notes. In the meantime, enjoy this episode. All right, here we go. How we doing, guys? What's up, man? Happy Friday. Good, good. Happy Friday. We've got a special, uh, we've got a new guest. We've got two Blakes in the house. Thanks for jumping in, Blake Z. Of course. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. How do you do your full last name pronunciation? I don't know if I've ever heard it. How's the full last name pronounced? I believe it's pronounced Zulkowski. Did I lose you? The Americanized pronunciation is Zielkowski. Okay. Zielkowski. Cool, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right on. I love that. All right. So we're going to talk it's about the reason we brought you in. What's that? It's that's fun all to we're say. Here for. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's all we're here for. We can wrap this up. Um, <laughs> good. Glad <laughs> I could be of assistance. We're going to do. Yeah. I think we got Adam jumping in. Perfect timing. Adam, how we doing? Doing well. Good to see you. Just got started. Perfect. Perfect timing. Perfect timing. We've got Blake Z. Uh, we we brought Blake in. Blake is a. Uh, uh, on the sales side here at Launch Notes, and is just like yeah. a a G at sales going way back. And because the topic we want to talk about today, we did an AMA on this this week. And Stephen and I can we can all talk a little bit about that. But maybe since uh, since Blake has about twenty minutes, we'll we'll start with your we'll start with your stuff, Blake, because we're talking competitive intelligence, classic okay. thing where product marketing's building battle cards, sales is getting asked questions about competition and demos. What, what in your experience, where does competitive intelligence work best for the sales team? What do you want? Yeah, it's a good question. I, it may sound contrived, but literally everywhere. If, if you don't understand the entire surface area of every one of your competitors, you are entering the conversation from a weaker position. And so Mm. knowing how they approach prospective customers is key. Knowing the methodology that they use to engage them, knowing what they lead with from a functionality perspective and from, you know, their strengths that they're touting and highlighting from the beginning, um, knowing what their standard process is for moving somebody through their pipeline into customer territory. Um, and then mm-hmm. the obvious stuff as well, knowing the competitor's functionality, knowing the history of the company, knowing the <laughs> size of the company, the segment that they target. Um, I think, yeah. The other piece of that, that, that people just, for some reason, don't research or allow themselves to leverage in competitive conversations is the philosophical approach of your competitor. I think that, uh, uh, you know, Hmm. the phrase or the saying rather, um, you know, there's, there's many ways to skin a cat might be pretty outdated and, and pretty gruesome, but 
there are a lot of ways to solve the same problem. And more often than not, your competitors are trying to solve the same problem you are from a very different perspective. And that Mm. goes a long way when you're talking to prospective customers and customers to help them understand that there's two ways to do this. We're not made equal. And that's why we don't have the same feature sets. So I think that that, that actually, that actually lends to a much more um, proactive uh, and, and a gentler competitive conversation that doesn't result in straight up mud slinging between, you know, you and the incumbent or you and the competitor that you're in the bake off with. Yeah, that's super, that's interesting. That's super interesting. Yeah, I mean, uh, I love the sort of, and you'll see that especially around certain like product categories in SaaS where there will be multiple kind of competitors in one space, but they'll all maybe represent like a different sort of like camp or flavor of doing the work and Mm -hmm. kind of knowing the ins and outs of that. And then it's, yeah, less, we're great. They suck. It it can be, Mm -hmm. yeah, if you like, you know, if you like Agile, you know, Jira, blah, blah, blah. If you like shape up, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, kind of work the, the nuances there. I also like that you led with, uh, and I think it's an overlooked thing, talking about the company's go, just like their overall go-to-market motion, how they approach customers, mm-hmm. how they give demos, how they talk to, because I think the typical thing with competitive intelligence is like, yeah, what's their product do? And, you know, what's their pricing? Um, mm-hmm. But actually like knowing... How do they monetize? How do they bring in customers? How do they kind of bring customers through the funnel? That's super interesting. Yeah, and I think that if you take that just one step further, it's what does their sales motion look like? Is it an aggressive outbound sales motion where they have a lot of SDRs and a lot of salespeople who are selling a huge vision and maybe the product is secondary? Or on Mm -hmm. the other end of the spectrum, do they have a pure PLD motion where customers come to them and the product is actually doing most of the selling for the product experts or the product specialists or whoever is occupying that AEC. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think the other thing too, that, um, that is worth highlighting on the, you know, the first point that I was making around philosophical differences is that you, you have a problem that we're trying to solve, but there are a million ways to look at that exact same problem. And so when you, when you, say effectively, we directly compete with this person. You are saying, I'm ready to fight over that perspective, or I'm ready to fight against that competitor. But you don't necessarily need to fight your competitors in order to beat your competitors. I think you can sell around your competitors, um, which a lot of folks just don't do or or they don't know how to do. Um, I think you can also um, sit alongside your competitors uh, and and um, uh, complement a lot of what they're doing at times as well, which is something that um, you know if if both parties if both parties are are uh, involved in the discussion and uh, and and both parties end up um, solving the problem, uh, then you you wind up with a more collaborative conversation and a more collaborative experience overall than if you're simply just trying to beat up on your competitors. Um, so right on. Yeah. I can put the yeah. ball on Blake's tee all day long, but go ahead guys. I don't want to, I don't want to yeah. hog him. Yeah. One. So one interesting thing you're talking about is like knowing about your competitor's sales motions. Let's, so I want to dig into that a little bit. Let's say you have a deal mm-hmm. you're working on. You know that the evaluator is also looking at competitor a very sales led. 
and you got another deal, the evaluator's looking at competitor B, very like product-led motion. Mm-hmm. What things are you doing differently with each of those deals, knowing that like they're evaluating, uh, you know, companies that, that have those very different sales motions? Yeah, it's a great question. If it's sales-led, I'm pitching the product and the functionality, our product and and and, and features and, and functionality. If it's mm-hmm. PLG, I'm pitching the vision. Hmm. Usually, if they don't take a hybrid approach and they're not encompassing the vision, the philosophy, the feature, the functionality, the problem, and then everything and how it works together to solve that problem, then they're missing an opportunity to win a deal. And usually when a, a, a company has a gigantic sales team, it's because their their product is slightly deficient and they're selling or indexing too heavily on the vision and potentially even on their customer service. Whereas when you have a company that's indexing too heavily on PLG, they're relying and putting a lot of pressure on that product to sell for you. So there's room to sell the vision. Say, I don't know if they're thinking about this problem holistically, but we are, and here's why. This is our vision and this is our functionality. And so I end up selling both. But I gotcha. think it's okay. a vision for PLG pitches. Yeah. Sounds like it kind of gives you like you're kind of selling your relative strength um, mm-hmm. compared to each one another. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's also, these are not truisms. These are just like trends that I've seen, you know, sure, yeah. pitching against different types of motions. But um, mm-hmm. when I'm pitching against a pure play PLG, there's usually less of an emphasis on uh, on customer success. They're, they're, they're relying on the, the product to sell itself and retain the customer. And so there's a <laughs> lot of room for me to actually uh, pitch our customer success and how interactive it will be and how attentive they will be to your needs. Um, and, and, you know, Launch Notes in particular has one deals purely on uh, our vision and our customer success. And we're the new kids on the block, so to speak. We've only been around for two and a half years compared to some of the incumbents who've been around for eight years. That's that's great. And you're yeah, like and you're you are I've noticed are very good at this. It's like you're not just selling the nuts and bolts of what the product does, like you're selling the full Correct. like a very holistic, you know vision to the customer and that includes, you know, support. Any, any sort of anything else we can do um, around that. That's very cool. I want to ask you about this, Blake, because uh, I think a lot of product marketers, I know as a former product marketer, I would fall into this. I think a lot of product marketers, product managers even struggle with this where they're, they're tasked with or feel a duty to, as they're researching the market competitive landscape to like shuffle insights to the sales organization. They want to put together mm-hmm. the battle cards and the insights and stuff like that. Like, and there was some good conversation in the AMA yesterday. We can get into this a little bit, Steve, too. But like some good conversation around like not flooding too much. Like don't give every single thing. Like does it? When does it become like too much? Or just like I am just buried in like every bullet point about this competition. But I need like what I need are these three things. Like how do you kind of think about that balance? I think about it um, typically. Uh, based on seniority, like the, the, the more senior, the seller, the more data, unstructured data, just straight up bullet points, anecdotes, you can throw at them and they will organize in real time 
into their own competitive pitch against that that particular competitor. Um, if you move, you know, across the spectrum of seniority to folks who are newer to the industry or newer to the role, um, they need uh, more connective tissue between those bullet points to conceptualize um, how to pitch against that competitor. And and more bullet points can definitely definitely be overwhelming. Um, especially if they're not strung together by product marketing or by the content team um, or by the competitive Intel team. Um, so for me, that's, that's one, one dimension. Um, the other dimension is that, uh, and it's something you just alluded to there, Blake, is that not every piece of competitive Intel is actually that high value. Often it depends mm-hmm. on where the salesperson is in the sales cycle with that particular deal and that particular competitor, there might be a new piece of Intel that isn't that useful for them at that moment in time, but it is very useful for the customer success team, for example. Um, and so I think timing is definitely uh, a dimension I, I think of as well when you know releasing information to the sales team. But generally speaking, um, especially with you know, fast moving startups, all information is good information. And the faster we can get it, the better, typically. Yeah, that's super interesting. Sounds like you're saying like, hey, sales reps need to kind of develop this scaffolding over, you know, six months to a year before you can just start kind of throwing facts at them. Like they're not going to be able to integrate that into their mental model of like how to think about competitors. Um, Any tips on like, I mean, we just hired two new sales reps. Like, how do you think about like what kinds of things are we doing to help develop that scaffolding for them? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot that I that I think about. Um, the the first thing I think about is what are the foundational building blocks that I can lay in the first couple of weeks that allow me to pile on the the framing, the windows, the internal walls, the the roofing, just to extend that analogy, where I know everything else I add onto their their house or onto their plate is not going to crumble that foundation. So identifying what those foundational pieces are um, is the first step. And then making sure that they're sequential and that they're not out of order. Like if you're giving somebody too much information about how to build a roof when you haven't even built a foundation or finished your foundation, the Mm -hmm. the mental model is going to be uh, out of whack before you can even use it. Um, And so I think a lot about what information sequentially needs to uh, be uh, somewhat projected into their consciousness first (laughs) before I can then add the next piece, add the next piece, because oftentimes um, salespeople, especially good salespeople are exceptionally and genuinely curious individuals. And so they will just ask every question they could possibly think of about every aspect of the product, of the company, of the space, of the persona in a very disorganized or unstructured way. And sometimes that works for people. Sometimes that's how they like to collect data and organize it. But again, if you don't have that solid foundation, you can't build the house. Yep. Yep. I know uh, I know you have a hard stop, Blake. Uh, can, I, can I squeeze one more in? Yeah, I'm, I'm good fun. for another five minutes. Yep. If we have, um, 
uh, there was some good conversation yesterday around like actually like getting on the phone. I don't think enough people do this, like myself included, like actually getting on the phone with customers of a competitor and doing some qualitative conversations and research interviews about, you know, a, with a customer who uses a different product. Mm -hmm. What would be the top thing you'd want to want us to ask if we're talking to a competitive customer? What is the downstream value impact of using that tool? Or unpack, unpack that, that for us. Yeah, I think that, you know, regardless of regardless of how close the problem or the solution is to revenue, ultimately the lifeblood of any company is revenue, new revenue and existing revenue. And the closer you can tie that problem and, and thus that solution, or in our case, the solution is a, a, you know, a B2B SaaS tool or platform, the closer you can tie that to revenue and understand the actual revenue Im implications of, of using that tool, of continuing to use that tool, of removing that tool, um, and potentially understand even more specifically the new revenue implications that that tool allows you to, to, to drive and the existing revenue implications that that tool allows you to prevent from, from churning. Um, those I, I'd say are the, it's, those are somewhat of the holy grail metrics of, of sales. It's, it's where you start to get into real ROI, not uh, ROI that isn't tied to revenue, which is, is fantastic. It's something that everyone should be looking at. Um, you know, how much time am I saving? Uh, how much more engagement am I driving? Um, those are things that we do and we, and we, we do well for our customers. But when you look at the, the question was, what is the highest value question? And, and thus, what is the highest value impact or, or, uh, what is the piece of data that has the highest impact for me and my sales team? It's how does this tool impact your revenue? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's like that varies across category and type of products and service too. Right. And yep. there are some, there are some products I'm, I'm always jealous of these in a way where it's, it's very cut and dry. Cause it'll be some product where it's like, we cost X, but we, we reconfigure your tax, you know, your tax allocation and save you a very specific amount of money each year. Mm -hmm. So then the ROI is literally that amount of that amount of savings minus the cost of your tool. There's yeah. the value. And it's extremely yeah. black and white. And then a lot of, I think most people are dealing with, you know, it's a little more opaque than that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's something I always struggle with, like the ROI of like <laughs> when the value is a little more opaque and trying mm -hmm. to kind of put a number on it or shape up the size of that value. I don't mm -hmm. know. And this could be for any of you guys like, Thoughts on yeah. sort of getting yeah. a handle on that or right. For sure. Yeah. I think we, I think we definitely like struggled with that with, um, when we were working on status page, like that whole, you know, that was way further down the line from revenue than like launch notes is, for example, like I feel like launch notes is actually, it's reasonably, it's re compared to other products. Like it's reasonably close to revenue in that. Mm -hmm. I, we've done a little bit of this, but I think we could probably do more just around showing like, Hey, our cut, like our customers, um, man, it would be great if we could like do a real legit study with some of our customers around like exactly 
like the increase in, you know, product adoption they get when they have this, like, you know, when they have this like great change log, you have this new pro like product hub, you have this dedicated list. That's like four product updates. Like we know mm -hmm. that those get opened and, um, you know, engaged with a lot more than people that are just putting product, you know, new product update stuff, like bearing it in their newsletter somewhere. Um, so I think, yeah, you I either haven't seen our ROI, our, our ROI study, <laughs> you either haven't seen it or you're just like doing the world's greatest layup for me right now. But yeah, we do have an ROI. We do have an ROI. Sur and this is now my new, like any company I go into, I feel like the first thing I do is just going to be an ROI survey. It's like the quickest, <laughs> it's like the quickest, like first win you can do, I think is just like, get some, get some, uh, uh, get some value data from your customers and spin it up into a report. So hopefully that's been at least a little bit helpful for your side, Blake. It's been huge. And I think that was the first project you and I collaborated on together, Blake. Yeah, Blaine. for sure. And uh, that's cool. I uh, had a lot of respect for you having never met you before or worked with you before just because your name is Blake. But yeah, I had of course. a tremendous amount more respect for you the minute I saw you in action with the ROI survey. It's probably yeah. arguably the... The, the, the most valuable asset we have. Um, and, mm. and frankly, it, it gets, uh, it gets underutilized, um, because the, the persona, uh, you know, th this is more abstract, but the persona that you're selling to has to also be connecting the ROI dots or yeah. force in their role to be thinking about ROI for ROI to resonate with them. And oftentimes, um, a, a product marketer, for example, isn't tasked with thinking about the ROI of their of their behaviors, or a product manager isn't. It, as you as yeah. organizations modernize, they definitely are. As organizations grow, they they absolutely are. And I think that's where ROI and the impact of the tool becomes even more uh, important to to anchor the conversation in from the very beginning because. Um, whether a seller knows it or not, when you move upstream and you're looking at hundreds of employees, thousands of employees at a company, the CFO is definitely looking at that purchase of the tool. And, For sure. And it may come in the form of delegation through a procurement department. It may come in the form of a budget. Um, it may come in the form of uh, them actually looking at the tool themselves to determine if this is something they want to spend money on. And the, the closer you can tie your tool to ROI, the faster you can help that CFO make the decision. And when mm -hmm. things get tough at companies, like we're seeing now in industry-wide economically, right. things are, are, are down across the board. And thus, it's, very, it's a very difficult selling environment for any B2B SaaS platform. ROI becomes almost the only thing that large organizations are looking at. And then when it, when it comes to, to analyzing uh, whether a new tool should be brought on or an existing tool should be kept, there needs to be ROI front and center because the CFO is definitely looking at that tool and saying, do we absolutely need this? And if they're not looking at it, they're tasking their IT team to look at it and say, can we consolidate existing tools to solve the same problem? Do we actually need this? And, and there's a lot of pressure on IT to, to, to consolidate. Um, and uh, and to to make sure that you know the existing tool stack covers us unless absolutely necessary. Dude, awesome insights. Uh, 
you promised five extra minutes. We get you give we took eight. So I'll let you I'll let you pop to your next meeting. But thanks for jumping in, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for the invite, guys. See, right. Hope See you around. See ya. Yeah, definitely. See ya. That was killer. We need to have him back in on these. That was great. Yeah, he's great. Guys, Adam, how do you? Um, we can keep this going for a little bit more because uh, I think there's we haven't even really scraped into some of the stuff we got into with the AMA yesterday too much. But, um, Adam, how have you, as a product marketer, I kind of always struggled with competitive intelligence and competitive insights, like. And a lot of, I think, as I reflect on it, the worry was like, am I not doing enough of this or am I doing too much of this? And like, what's that kind of like mm. Goldilocks middle ground of like, I'm not spending too much time. I'm giving the team what they need. I'm being helpful, but I'm not sort of over indexing on what's the competition doing. Yeah, I, I, it, I think it depends on the appetite of the of the revenue team. And to Blake's earlier point, the kind of the, the maturity of that team, both in terms of like their knowledge of the product and their, you know, years of selling. So as Blake said, he's, you know, he's pretty hungry for competitive intelligence. And he and I align uh, around a number of things. One is that idea of, you know, what is the philosophy of your competitive set? And so, you know, one of the things that he and I work on is like looking at, you know, the about pages of our, of our, of a competitive set, the LinkedIn uh, pro- profile. So you understand where people are coming from um, and how they're solving the particular problem that you might be in a competitive discussion around. And then also from a, a LinkedIn standpoint, you get kind of the sense of what their organizational chart is. And so that that's kind of helpful information so that to, you know, Steve's question to Blake of like, you know, how do you sell against a, a sales oriented, you know, motion versus a PLG motion? So um, those two things are really helpful. Um, another area that, you know, I work with Blake on and the team is like, you know, what are the, the competitive documentation of how we like literally not just fit philosophically, but how do we literally stack up feature for feature? And um, I found that, you know, digging into the the support documentation of companies is very helpful in terms of like really getting to the specifics of, of those questions and answers. And then we've got at launch, it's a really good feedback loop. We use um, uh, meeting software like Avoma that allows us to understand like what are some of the uh, conversations that uh, Blake and the team are having, so that we can then you know identify okay, we don't have an answer to that question, and that question keeps coming up. So let's develop something that you know we can better address uh, in that conversation. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, I I I think that you know just based on Blake's appetite for it. And we have two new AEs there. There's a, there's certainly a a lot of information that we could be and that we are providing them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Steve, anything else that came up? I feel like there were like a half dozen things in yesterday's talk where I was like, Oh, that's like, like new stuff I hadn't heard or like interesting, like tidbits he had any, anything really stand out to you? Um, let me think. Okay. One thing, I don't know how much we got into this, but one kind of, uh, I don't know, uh, takeaway for me was, was around, I think when a lot of people think of competitive Intel, they think about like snooping through their competitor's product and like copying things that they think are cool. Um, a takeaway for me was around like, don't, don't put a ton of stock in like that kind of stuff. 
but like do pay attention and it's actually very valuable information to like take seriously the things that your customers are saying about your competitors don't pay, don't do a ton of like stressing about like creating a fake account and like poking through their you know poking yeah. through their tool and like ooh that's cool let me copy that oh cool let me let me copy that they have a setting they have a settings page cuz at the end of the day like you don't know how much of that stuff is like working well like I'm, there's a handful of or stuff what? in our product right now that's probably converting like converting poorly customers are maybe aren't even really using so if you know some more to pop up today be like ooh i'm going to copy you know all this stuff from launch notes there's a good chance like a decent amount of it is like a stupid thing for them to copy but mm, yeah yeah but the insights that you that you get from customers like through things you hear on sales calls through win loss interviews like take those things seriously that's uh yeah, that's excellent. And I loved the I loved that he Andy spent some time yesterday talking about that that thing where you do get a customer and it sounds like he says like we're, you know, just reach out, you can find the logos on their website, you can, you know, you can kind of triangulate using LinkedIn on who might be using it. Send mm-hmm. a message, offer 100 bucks, be very straightforward, like don't be sort of like shady or cagey about it and just say like like you know, we're trying to learn a little bit. We'll offer you a hundred dollar gift card for 30 minutes of your time. We'll keep these, you know, the notes totally, totally private within our company. We'd love to know, you know, we'd love to just pick your brain on what's working here for you. And it doesn't feel like, I think for the, the key there for the, for the customer and the recipient of that message is like, it doesn't feel like you have some ulterior motive. It doesn't feel like you I'm not getting the full story on why, why they're reaching out to me. It doesn't feel like this is a salesperson who's going to try to, you know, uh, sn- snipe me away from this other, you know, tool and convince me to switch and convince me how their product's so great. Like if you kind of approach it earnestly with like, we're just trying to learn, we're being very forthright about what we're doing here would, would mean a lot to us. I think that's right. great. And I think you, some of the stuff I've learned doing calls like that, it's like, yeah, like, light years beyond more insightful than what you would find. Like, let me start a trial and click around and get lost. And he made the good right. point that, yeah. you know, as you do that, that to have kind of a consistent through line, right? So that you're not just, you're, you're not talking to a, you know, a small business and then an enterprise and then, you know, someone that's in banking versus someone that's in retail, like identify what that through line is so that you can glean, you know, the insight. So like, yeah. Interview all enterprise clients or interview, you know, if you have a, uh, yeah. you know, a good foothold in financials, how can you extend that into like a bank banking sub segment? So I thought that was, you know, yeah. also something really important as you reach out and talk to um, competitor um, customers. Yeah, that's yeah. such a great I might point. extend that and- to. Go ahead. I was going to say real quick. I might extend that to like any kind of a research project yeah. in that like 100%. we've done research yeah. projects around like product, like product stuff. Hey, should we build XYZ feature? And we interview a smattering of customers from all different sizes. And when you have that, you know, very, it's hard to get good, like signal or pull insights when the data is like, so, you know, kind of like wildly, yeah. the context of it is different. Um, so having yeah. kind of holding some things constant, I think is a, is a great idea. The best, I don't even, I don't know if there's a name for this, but like, to me, the best insights too, from like research efforts or anything kind of like qualitative conversations like this. It's like, yes, you will glean things from, you know, you might glean things from the very first call and be like, that was an incredible call. I learned so much. 
the best things you glean in my experience are when you do have, like Adam was saying, like you have a series of conversations, you've got them all sort of like, you've got the right sort of like framing for each one. So it's not, you know, apples and oranges and totally different types of customers. And then you start to pick up patterns like on call three or four, you'll notice like, oh, I've heard that before. Oh, I've heard that three times now. Like, oh, someone else said, said the same thing just in a different way. Like those kind of things where you connect the dots and you notice patterns after talking to five or six customers to Mm -hmm. me seems to be like, we're the real gasoline. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I got Maybe it's an epiphany. Maybe it's nothing, but I got something <laughs> brewing here. Let me let, let, let me ramble. Let me let me ramble through this. I feel like maybe this is like almost a commentary on the importance for early stage startups to be very like more specific about who their ICP is. Um, and maybe honestly, yeah. a little bit of a lesson for like launch notes here too. Like if the uh, like if the context of everything you're thinking about is like, hey, you know, we serve customers of this size, like you're going to, you're going to then by default, like go interview, you know, customers that are, you know, in that, in that kind of same range. And so a lot of the activities that you're doing around research around, you know, win loss programs, like you're going to, you're going to get more, you're going to get to a like insight around here's a, here's like a really underserved, I don't know, segment of a market with a specific problem that we can solve. And like, you can get to product market fit faster by being very intentional about like who you're serving. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe that's obvious. Yeah. But... Anything, uh, anything else from the, from the talk yesterday that stood out to you guys? I'm trying to think. Yeah. I'd wish we got into a little bit more and this probably makes more sense. Uh, this is like more important for bigger companies, but we kind of glossed over some of the, um, I think competitive Intel falls into that trap of like, you know, people spend a lot of time doing it and then it kind of falls on deaf, not deaf ears, but like everyone's busy. Everyone's got a ton of shit going on already. Everyone's already thinking about a million things, but like really like nailing, um, just making sure other people in the org are integrating the stuff that you're trying to communicate. They're paying attention to it. Like that. It's actually getting, put to use and like making yeah. a difference in I love doing all this point. and no one's changing like the it's not changing anyone's behavior it's not helping anyone to make better decisions then it's you know it's a waste of time so. yeah one of the things that i really loved uh from the conversation yesterday was the way that he kind of compartmentalized his um competitive you know too often i i get into the mode of like i'm doing competitive for sales but the way he broke it down was Think about competitive from a marketing standpoint, from a sales standpoint, from an HR standpoint, and from a product standpoint. And you can then kind of get the exact information that's going to be most helpful to the product team or to the hiring manager or to the marketing team. And they're more likely to consume it, use it, and then action it. Um, So I, I thought that was a really great way to think about competitive rather than just like one lump sum of like information around a company or a competitive set. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I love that. A hundred percent. I also loved his, he was really, uh, really sharp on this idea of like, put some marketing behind the delivery of this information internally. Yeah. That always got me like, especially at bigger companies when marketers would, you know, bellyache about like, I wrote this, you know, I wrote this project brief and no one read it or I did this, you know, research project and no one, no one saw it or blah, blah, blah. I'm kind of like, 
use your, you know, like use some of your marketing juice within this, like, you know, get kind of Mm -hmm. celebrate it, put it out there, make it, you know, put a hook on it, put a compelling headline on it, find the most sort of juicy thing to lead with, like do a little like sales and marketing internally to get this in front of people Mm -hmm. and to help them see like, oh, like they talked to this person at or, or whatever it is, like, and not just like, it's not a TPS report. Like <laughs> you can juice it yeah. up a little bit internally so people are compelled to check it out. I thought that was like a really good point. And don't be yeah. shy. Socialize, yeah. you know, you know, put some meetings on the calendars or yeah. do some like lunch and learns so that it's not just an email that's going out, but like you're, 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 you're socializing yeah. it and getting it in front of people every day in, in, in every way. Yeah. 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 Like, you got to think about it like a product. Like you're trying to sell people on, hey, you should pay, you should spend some of your brain cycles on paying attention to this. Mm-hmm. Like you got to, you got to put kind yeah. of the work in and like making it, you know, palatable. I know, uh, I know, you know who we should fi- try to find for an AMA or uh, a podcast is someone who does. Um, I know competitive intelligence is kind of like one sort of vertical of sales enablement. But I think at bigger companies that are product marketers focused on sales enablement, and I bet there are some out there that are doing some real mm-hmm. cool things. And I often mm-hmm. sort of think about like, what would like doing like a really great internal enablement hub at a big company yep. look like? And how could you have like a really awesome sort of like set of self-serve resources? You could easily do something great on Notion or, or something else. But like, mm-hmm. I think... um there's got to be some people doing just like more sharp things around enablement. And I think that's one of those things that would be cool for us to talk about because a lot of it's just like, unlike other marketing work, it's not like out in the world as much. So it's kind of like locked up within everyone's company. So it might be cool to like kind of dive in more to those practices. Yeah. It's a random, random idea I had. I'm like, I love the idea of Maven. Do you guys know Maven? It's like the cohort courses, like platform like a ton of, I don't know, thought leaders now have like a course on Maven. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like launch notes could do a thing where we like sponsor, we'd like sponsor a sales mm. enablement course or something. Maybe we like pay the person like, Hey, we're going to cover $3,000 or, you know, whatever that would be you cool. run this course, you know, people will pay a little bit extra to do it too. That could be a cool, yeah. yep. just like marketing thing for us to do. I know we got like a million ideas of things we could try, but. And so here's, here's the a, one here's thing we have surplus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 for real. Anyway, fellows, this was fun. Any other, uh, any final words before we wrap it? I do. We can wrap it, but I'll maybe I'll leave it on a thought about something I want to talk about more. But it's this idea, this really interesting idea from the James Hawkins podcast I did, CEO Postog. He was mm-hmm. talking about how it's actually maybe like easier to find product market fit in a market that's already very competitive because you know that you know that like this problem really exists for a lot of people. There's already several, you know, companies that are doing really well. Um, yeah, just kind of like a random idea, like in that ballpark that I want to, a thread I want to pull on more over the next. Yeah, there's something to that. And we've seen stuff where it's like, I think for a while there it was like, there's no way like a startup would start or would imagine getting funding if they were just going to say like, 
we're going to take on this big incumbent. We're just going to do it better. But like, we're starting to see like, but it uh, happens. It's wild. It's happening. Like Figma, yeah, like, linear, uh, yeah, Notion stuff is showing up in categories that have been around for decades. Well, look at look at around and like making traction. Like around just exactly. up, and all of a sudden they were highly competitive with Zoom. Yeah. That was the you know the market leader, and before Zoom, it was WebEx, and so that's went through a n- number of like destructions yeah and so it, it is a good thought of like sometimes it's okay to enter a you know uh, a competitive yeah. marketplace there was this uh there was this video like kind of making the rounds on twitter when uh around when the figma adobe acquisition was announced like massive acquisition and there was a video that was a recording of Figma's founder doing, uh, I think they were literally like raising their seed round, like doing, did you see this, Steve? Like his first like, about, yeah. pitch to investors trying to raise seed money for what became Figma. And he was just like very forthright. It was just like, there's now like, thanks to like them, yep, technology updates, like thanks to all this new stuff, like we can do all this stuff in the browser now. So I'm going to make, we're going to make, Adobe's creative suite in the browser. It was like, that was, mm-hmm. you know, like you say that was it, like extremely hard to execute on, but like as a core idea to just be like, yeah, so there's the Adobe creative suite. We'll do that in the browser. Like we're seeing yeah. a lot of that where it's like, yeah, there's there's SharePoint. We'll do that. You know, we'll do that with SaaS. There's, um, right. there's, there's Zoom. We'll do that with better design. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's something to talk about. Yeah, that whole thing is so interesting. The ways in which like companies get really disrupted and like what are the like really doing some research on like what what led to like this company's success in like being able to really overtake mm. an incumbent. I think it's a really interesting. Mm. Yeah. It's a really interesting yeah. topic. Yeah. Can we we'll leave we'll leave that we'll leave that at a cliffhanger. I gotta go buy some I gotta buy some contact solution. <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever dry out that. there. I'm on like day three of using water to put my contacts in. I got to go buy some solution. Uh, I'll yeah, see yeah. you. Uh, I know. I'll see you guys around. Thanks for jumping in. This was a fun one. Yep. Cool. All right, guys. See y'all. See ya. Have a good see one. See you guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Launch Notes podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please take 10 seconds to leave us a five-star review. Your review helps new people find the show. More importantly, it lets us know which episodes you've enjoyed the most so we can continue to find amazing guests and topics you'll love. Even if you don't typically leave podcast reviews, it would mean a ton to us if you did. We're pumped when we get new reviews. I personally read every review. I'm always sharing them with the rest of the Launch Notes team. So thank you in advance and see you next time.